Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 133, and I'm your co-host, Nigel. I am Tazzy, content creator and co-host. And as always, we're bringing you interesting discussions with diverse voices. But today, we are the only diversity that is uh, is bringing you these uh, discussions because it's just me and Tazzy. We were scheduled to have Jason and Rich from Wulong Talks with us today. Unfortunately, they couldn't make it at the last minute. So we're going to be taking the diversity load, the discussion load. Yeah, you're stuck with us, basically. That's, that's yep. the uh, upshot of Just that. our two viewpoints, which often are... From various English standpoints. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. So I don't know, listen to this and then go speak to a random person to get an alternative view. Sorry. But we are going to have a good chat about Ant-Man and the Wasp. And uh, you're here with us. So it's all good. If you haven't already, remember that you can subscribe to Story X Story, wherever you get your podcast from. You can send us your feedback and questions to feedback at mymatter.com or them us on social media we are at myamada on twitter at myamada tv on instagram and tiktok or at tazzy on all the above and also get ready for our new studio 77 membership we're working on this in in the background and it's going to be coming at some point in spring it will give you access to video content digital comic and illustration content from the myamada universe and early access to tickets for My Matter events and more to come. You can join the Studio 77 Discord today for free um, and be part of the My Matter universe and meet others in the community. So we're going to be having more news on that membership in the coming weeks and months as we put it all together. Um, but before we get into today's story discussions, let's update you with some of what's been happening in the My Matter universe. <music> Like I said, as well as the membership, we've got a few things that we're working on. It's been a very uh, plan-heavy past few months. As you know, we last year we started a campaign, Do I Look Like a Gamer, in 2022 to promote diversity and inclusion in the video games industry. So this is something we've been working on for a year, actually. I think it's, as we record, it's literally been a year um, since we launched this. I mean, more than a year that we've been working on it, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, since the public <laughs> knew about it. I mean, it's been a long time to be yeah. working on it. <laughs> yeah, long time in the making. So yeah, glad to get that out. But um, well, glad to get it out. The response was great. It was very positive to see people like jump on board, get involved in the photo shoot, in the events. And yeah, just the whole idea of bringing more diversity, bringing more awareness of careers in the games industry for young people. But the need still remains. So we've decided to make the campaign a yearly initiative and we're going to be building on the work that we did last year and continuing the push for diversity in games industry and the wider culture. So that means a new schedule of events for 2023 and a new photo shoot, which we are working on at the moment. So as we record, we're working on getting a few photo shoot days. We've got another um, 40 people. So we're going to be taking a new snapshot of players and makers in an effort to showcase the representation that does exist today and hopefully inspire future generations of diverse talent to get involved in gaming culture industry. Uh, so once we've done that on 15th of April, which is a Saturday, we are going to be launching this year's campaign 
in a special live stream where Tazzy and I will be kicking off this year's campaign and we'll be joined by different supporters to talk about what the campaign means to us and what is to come for 2023. So stay tuned for information on that in the coming weeks as we get ready to launch and bring another schedule of events. Uh, and speaking of other events, we have our Studio 77 activities for the month. So each month we have a show called Casual Conversations with Comic Creators, where I talk with comic creators. So speaking with different creators about themselves. So the aim is to uncover the human being behind the art form, get to know the people who make the great art and comics that we enjoy. And our next episode will be on Wednesday, the 15th of March with Japanese manga artist Inko. Uh, who we've known for a number of years. Then at the end of the month, we are going to bringing, be bringing our Games Night live stream. We'll be playing Knockout City for one of the unfortunately last uh, times, or hopefully not actually, because we still need to investigate that whole private server as the game is sunsetted yeah. in June. So hopefully not, but while it's here... Actually. Yeah, potentially, yeah. We, let's not take anything for granted. So we're going to be uh, trying to play over the coming months as much as we can. Um, so Thursday, the 30th of March from 7.30 p.m. GMT, uh, we'll be playing with Studio 77 uh, members. And you can check out that live. You can check out the VOD after it's done. And you can also take a look at highlights from past games nights on our YouTube channel. That is where we are with the My Matter Universe. You are all caught up. Now let's talk about some of the stories that we've been enjoying this week. So this is the part where we have a little bit of a spoiler-free discussion on what stories everyone has been reading, watching, or playing. Usually we'd start with our guests, but we don't have any. Um, <laughs> so actually, I'm going to suggest that we do like a back and forth. Okay, just we're mixing it, this up. Yeah keep it fresh <laughs> <laughs> we did not plan for this so let's see how this goes we're gonna freestyle this so i'll let you know one of the things that i the stories that i've been involved in recently you say been involved in like some <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it when you you get invested and that I was feels like you're part of the journey <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> just came back from the wrap-up party yeah. uh, let me tell you all about it um which is lockwood and co so it's a netflix series which is a lot of fun so it's based in like it's based in the uk sort of like london well sort of london it's it's based in london but the idea is that there was some kind of like event that then meant that that was like a supernatural world uncovered and then young people have this skill to be able to sense the supernatural in different ways so like some people have like sight or smell or hearing whatever there's a way that they can connect to the supernatural world and they all get trained to hunt and get rid of supernatural disturbances right and during the night is when it's the worst. So, like, there's a curfew. <laughs> and it's kind of them, like, you're following the journey of... You're following the journey of Lockwood, who is kind of like a young Sherlock Holmes-type character. How young are we talking? Oh, like teens. 
like I feel like they're like 16, 17, <laughs> maybe little yeah, but they're they're like, you know, late teens kind of yeah. age. And uh they're supposed to have adult supervision, but they don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna say that that much, uh, but it's quite fun. Um, it's like this fun supernatural thing. I'm looking forward to like a second season because then there's like a whole sort of like conspiracy that also starts to unfold. But yeah, uh, it's really fun. I just love. I really love Lockwood so much. <laughs> His character is just so fun. Kind of like gives me like a Sherlock Sherlock Holmes meets like matt smith's doctor who meets i mean this is already some high praise (laughs) (laughs) yeah but like in kid form so it's just a lot of fun (laughs) yeah it's just some of the yeah some of the the characteristics and like the secrets and the i know everything kind of attitude as well i know things that you could never possibly understand (laughs) um yeah and then like so at the end co is a girl who didn't like that she had this connection to the supernatural and has gone through a load of stuff before before she finds him and then like his best friend and they're all quite quirky like they're they're like oddballs that just don't fit in in other places okay i like that yeah and they're very competitive there's like a there's like the sort of like more official team that they're always like going head to head against oh, i like that too yeah so it's a lot of fun yeah bit of like right it's like kind of like school rivalry vibes yeah. <laughs> gets a bit hunger gamesy in there like <laughs> but yeah so a lot of fun really enjoyed it but yeah what what's a show or movie or thing uh let me go off that found family theme and say i've been watching umbrella academy so or specifically season was it season three is that the latest one yes so started watching this i've only seen the first episode and it's something that like i i love the first two and i uh, hope i'll enjoy this so as well great. yeah and the end of season two really left on a like cliffhanger where it was like i need to know what happened because <laughs> they <laughs> left them in a situation where like i need to see this resolve they always do this <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> they really do so i got the got the resolution so i almost feel even though i've only watched the first episode of season three i got the resolution and the kind of closure that i was looking for at the end of season two and okay. so gonna keep watching but yeah it's interesting to see direction i think they're taking um mm-hmm. without saying too much just introducing some new characters i guess it's it's that there's a challenge when you have a, a show that's based on a set of what at this point are now established characters how do you extend it? Where do you go? Do you mm. continue focused on these new characters? Do you introduce, uh, typically what happens is they'll introduce uh, new characters and it's like, how do those characters get blended in? And then do you take to the new characters or do you just want to focus on the existing characters? So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they take on this challenge. But mm. it's it reminds me, it's such a, so like a quirky show. Like it, yeah. it really does have its own like vibe to it. There's in the first episode, there is a there's a dance sequence that kind of comes out of nowhere. I love the dance sequence. Oh <laughs> yeah. And there's a point of like watching it where I was like, I don't know, I don't know why this is happening, but I don't care. And I'm yeah. just <laughs> going in, and then it kind of explains why that, why that was happening. But yeah, yeah. it's just it's such a show, and then the characters have their own quirks. 
five is mm. still five is my favorite favorite forever yeah. and always my favorite <laughs> umbrella academy character <laughs> but you know what also like klaus I just, yeah klaus is just his own dude like yep <laughs> own world own, <laughs> yes. like own rules own, like, absolutely. own philosophy like doesn't really. just so yeah it's just nice to be like re- reintroduced to those those characters and then just seeing where where it goes for the season mm. i think what's interesting about umbrella academy as well because they have like a formula and mm. it's how do you keep the formula which is normally why people love the show but still keep it fresh yeah which brings me on to another show that i have completely watched the whole of <laughs> which is community which definitely has a formula oh yeah that definitely has a formula. i mean the formula works and uh, the formula works yeah yeah like, i think from what i remember last was it last season because like people left and yeah uh, stuff but yeah the formula works i mean to the point where the literal last episode they are talking about the formula <laughs> <laughs> so i feel like this is one where like you can't not spoil community by talking about it it's a sitcom me telling you stuff about it doesn't spoil it because you have to watch it to experience it and it's almost um, one of those things where it's been memed so much that you you've probably seen it <laughs> yeah like there was memes that i like there's things that i knew from it from the memes but i I'd, I'd given it i'd watched one episode years ago and it was like uh. and then a friend showed me a specific episode and to be specific for those that have watched it, the first paintball episode. Um, <laughs> and I was like, this show is great. Let me go back and watch it from the beginning so I know who everyone is. And like, I understand where they fit into this jigsaw. And then I was like, this is such a great show. And then like, after like watching it and getting to like the fourth season, I was like, oh, I know why I love this show so much. And it's because it's absolutely ridiculous <laughs> but about the most mundane things. And I just I just love how dramatic they make the ordinary. But in this like like this show was about having fun. Like you can tell they just had fun while making it. Like it it's just like, I know, I've got an idea for this kind of like thing that I want to do. Can we put it in the show? <laughs> like it is the 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 play like it's like the sandbox of t like sitcom tv that's a good description it is a sandbox yeah they just tried things they just tried things and like literally anything it's based in a community college that's that's the whole thing they're a study group in a community college which sounds like the the most boring (laughs) storyline ever but because it's just a community college and it's like this rundown community college that's like the worst And it's led by a guy who's just trying to do the minimum to get Bare by. minimum, yeah. But actually genuinely cares about everyone at the same time. Yeah. And like, the, what's their model? Like, everyone's welcome or something. Like, they have courses in this community college. <laughs> like, there's one course that's ladders. And it's literally just a guy talking about ladders. And like, so they have all of these, like, really ter- terrible classes. <laughs> and like... It's not the kind of place you could get a qualification there, but the qualification holds no merit. (laughs) Absolute no merit. But what I love is that they do like, so they they do these series of paintball episodes and like, they're the best. Mm. They're like, oh, just the best. Anything where there's a, 
any kind of like competition in the show. Everything turns into this like really dramatic Wild West or space theme <laughs> or whatever. Like it's always got a theme and it gets really dramatic and it's like a, an apocalypse has broken out on campus. <laughs> <laughs> Level of drama and everything's just so dramatic, but in this really fun way, like, oh, I don't know. And they even like with every episode, they'll be like, whatever the theme is, they'll then change how it's filmed and i just love that it's just a very creative show yeah it is there's one that's like a complete animation yeah like there's stop a motion animation stop motion there's a puppet episode yeah <laughs> like it is the sandbox of sitcom <laughs> <laughs> that's the best explanation for it yeah it kind of like just reminds me of like like a, a film like a film class that has to make a project each week and they're like who's got an idea cool and then let's try it you say that because um uh, dan Harmon, who wrote and created who also co-created rick and morty Mm. he has this thing about like storytelling structure uh, Mm. and like the the story circle so if you google uh, as i'm doing right now um if you google (laughs) dan Harmon, his story circle it's like basically the, the certain elements of how you tell a story, like the journey the character takes from like the need to what they they want, going from the familiar to the unfamiliar, um, returning back and being a changed character at the end. So he's got this, this formula and you can kind of, you can see, I think, in fact, I think there's an episode <laughs> where he kind of either, yeah. or might be confusing Rick and Morty. I think it's a Rick and Morty episode where he explicitly goes goes through it. But you can yeah. kind of see it in in community where a lot of the experimentation and where he must have like formed these ideas yeah that's the other thing as well so there's like certain characters and they each kind of like have their place in the story and their quirks and whatever Mm. um one of the characters Arved (laughs) so the show's also super meta (laughs) (laughs) because they have a character that's obsessed with tv shows and so So just continuously breaks the fourth wall but is it breaking the fourth wall because that's just no, his character so <laughs> it feels like he's right like it's so such yeah, it's a clever way in a meta to way. break the fourth wall yeah because <laughs> it's just super meta especially in the episodes where they're in like animation or whatever like mm. where they're in in some kind of delusion because then it's like super meta <laughs> yeah yeah um and like Arbed sees everything as a show. So it's like, if this was a show, this would happen <laughs> right now. <laughs> to the point, like during like the animation ones and stuff, mm. I'm like, when it starts, you're like, is this like, do they know that? Like, what? Yeah, it's so it's so fun and it's so clever how they create the reason for anything happening. And for why, even like when the super dramatic like paintball episodes, it's like, why has the whole school turned into the Wild West? And I'm not joking when I say the Wild West, like there is a saloon and everything. Yeah. (laughs) So funny. Yeah. It's just super creative. It's so creative. Yeah. What about you? Another one from you? Another one from me, I will say Castlevania. So I finished season, is it three seasons, four seasons, all the seasons of Castlevania, which is really good. <laughs> have you have you seen this? I've watched the first season. Yeah. But I haven't gone back to it since. Okay. And I can't even really remember because it was like when it first came out that I watched that. 
Yeah, it's it's. I was surprised by this show. So I I watched it having heard like, oh, it was a really good show. But I feel it was never, or at least that I noticed, never on a wider scale, like as much recognition as I feel it, it probably should deserve, at least outside of the people who already know. Mm. And the way it progresses is very much a sort of a story told over four seasons. So 32 episodes, four seasons. And it reminds me, I mean, it's nothing like this show, but it reminds me of the way Avatar The Last Airbender was really like one story told over three seasons. This is okay, yeah. like one story told over four seasons. So it comes to a, a close, like a, a natural uh, or supernatural um, <laughs> closure uh, <laughs> by the end. And yeah, it just, it so it, it centers on three main characters. So you've got Trevor Belmont, you've got Alucard, and you've got Cypher, who is, um, so Trevor Belmont is like a, I don't know, a monster hunter basically comes from a family of, of monster hunters, specifically vampires. Um, you've got the uh, Alucard, who's the half-human, half-vampire son of Dracula. Uh, and then you've got uh, Cypher, who belongs to uh, this group called the Speakers, who are magicians who, yeah, I guess, yeah, they deal with magic. Sorry, when I said magicians, I was like, that makes it sound like, <laughs> I don't know, mm-hmm. David Blaine or something. But no, they they, they do magic. And uh, he's very powerful. And it's all of the three of them uh, taking on Dracula and just vampire and, and monster race but it's, it's it's quite deep like i think i brought this up when i started watching the first season and it reminded me a lot of game of thrones in the way that there's different factions all maneuvering for for power and then mm. the way the first season ends reminded me of the way the first season of game of thrones ended in certain ways but just the yeah the, the level of it's very mature uh, very violent, so uh, mature in that sense as well. But very mature storytelling. It's it's just it's thoughtful. It's just there's a lot where you know sometimes you get shows you can watch with some and just put on in the background. Yeah, this is not one of them. Yeah, this is and you have, you have to, to pay, pay attention. attention. Yeah, and not in a like because there's so much like detail or like technical things happening. Just it's a, it's very serious stuff that's happening. It's like okay, I need to pay attention. To this, the voice acting is one of the things that got me, even when the animation didn't quite capture me, but the voice acting got me. I feel it was very well voice acted. And yeah, just the, the journey of the characters, uh, the growth of the the characters, the stuff they go through, just very interesting, like really well done show. Mm, I do need to go back to it and like give it another another go. Yeah, see what you think. I, it, it comes from a, it has a particular style and I can imagine, because initially I wasn't quite captured by it, and, yeah but it there's yeah there's definitely something there yeah because i remember i did watch the first season i did remember like really enjoying it but i don't know why for some reason i just couldn't get back into it yeah i'd say give it another go sometimes you just need to be in the right mood for something i guess or like yeah and i feel this is one of those shows you kind of there were times where like i wasn't really in the mood to watch that and, and i put off like going to the next season for a little while but yeah, so I, I totally get that. There's like just two more for me that I want to talk about. So I might do my two and then throw it back to you because I think it will go nicely. Uh, so Lookism, I don't, did I mention it before? Never heard of it. Okay, so Lookism is, I'm pretty sure it's a like Korean anime. It's on Netflix. It is very interesting. So the, I don't want to spoil it. So I'm going to get 
the official um, description of it so that I can not spoil anything. Okay, here's one. Uh, in a society that favours good looks, a high school outcast leads a double life, switching between his two bodies that are polar opposites in appearance. So that is kind of like the mm. the official uh, thingy on it. It's, it was originally a webtoon. Oh, wow. So from webtoon to Netflix. Yes. Impressive. That's pretty impressive. But it is like such a good story. It's so well made. And yeah, so there's this character that, that has two bodies, initially was like really bullied, and then kind of gets a second body that's really good looking <laughs> hmm. by like the standards so yeah it's just kind of like really interesting like going through how this character behaves and how they are treated in both their bodies that's a very interesting premise yeah and uh it's definitely one that if you watch it's good to know like how did you feel about the character as their handsome self and as their not so handsome self because my friend watched it and my friend was like oh so how did you feel about did you feel sorry for him i was like i didn't actually because <laughs> i don't it's not as clear-cut as like oh they're a good person they've just like right. not been blessed with good looks they learn a lot from then being treated in a different way but yeah it's really fun and there's like this crew in there that are like they're pretty good looking themselves, but they use their looks for good, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, definitely one to check out without saying too much. Just you have to go watch it. It's not that long. And I just recommend everyone watches it. feel like this is like one to just develop you as a human being okay. to watch it. You're selling me. <laughs> and then I finally finished It Takes Two. Oh, nice. Um, so maybe my friend finally sat down and played the last bit uh we realized that we was on the last chapter all along <laughs> it's been like a year i think <laughs> since we since we initially started it since the last time it's we a played. journey it's a journey yeah it's been a journey and it's just such a great game mm. <laughs> it's such, the one problem with, well it's not a problem with it um but it can be a challenge in completing it is uh that you have to play it with two people and it's kind of like if you finish it if you start it with one person and don't finish it with them, it's a bit like watching a show when you've started watching a show <laughs> with someone and you like don't watch it with them. But even worse, because it's you have to play with them. So it's so Yeah, so you've literally played with someone else. So, yeah. It's like cheating. It's really much, yeah, it's <laughs> definitely like cheating. And it feels like it even more because of the nature of the game. Because yeah. it's going yeah. through a story of a broken marriage and how they're like it is the their journey of repairing this marriage through their 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 child's like toys mm. it feels even more like cheating if you play it with someone else because you're like oh but you know we're trying to repair our marriage <laughs> <laughs> you get really invested i love i love the style of this game i love the uh corporation and the the dynamic of two players um i i loved it so much it's a great couch co-op i also love the fact that it can be played online and offline which is something that a lot of games have lost. They're either mm. online or offline. Really, most are online. Most are online, yeah. To have local uh, multiplayer is just like a lost art, which is just so nice because playing it physically with someone is a lot of fun. 
but then as well, like we, we played it online and being able to play it online is just because it's such a good game. Like, you know, if anything, like God forbid, touch wood, touch all of the wood. <laughs> 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 anything like the pandemic happens again where we're all going to lockdown, like it's definitely one you can play. And yeah, it's just, oh, it's a magic game. I mean, the Book of Love is really annoying, but it's supposed to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, definitely a great, great two-player game. I recommend it for friends, for couples, for family members, because the co-op element of it is a lot of fun. And uh, we blitzed through the last chapter and we were like, yeah, we're, we're great gamers. <laughs> but when you get that, like, that flow going with your mm. with the person you're playing with it's a lot yeah good when you don't even have to talk oh nice to like Sounds get good. the timer right you know you just kind of automatically do it yeah satisfying yeah do you want to finish us off all right so i'm not going to talk too much about this partly because non-spoilers but also because we're going to be talking a lot more about this in an upcoming story club live stream and it is it is the last of us tv show so this is a uh, recent thing, and as is not always the case, I'm I'm jumping on the zeitgeist pretty much as is <laughs> as it's happening. Although I think I'm one episode behind now, but been been keeping up. So we're going to be talking about this with Mr. Midas on uh, the 23rd of March. Uh, so for people who want to hear all the spoilery talk, then wait for that. So we're going to be going yeah. into that. But I just feel that I just need to <laughs> need to come and sing its praises because. This show's good. Like mm. is it is one is is way better than it needs to be. Like it, okay. it doesn't even have to be this good. And you can still jump on it and and that. But it is like I so I'm on episode, I think I just watched episode seven. And mm -hmm. it's an interesting way to watch having obviously played the game. We've had conversations with Mr. Midas about the game. Obviously, we're big fans of the game. And we've also had com conversations about adaptations, specifically video game adaptations and how there was a long patch of time where they had not been great and we've talked about that seen so recent times there have been a lot of good ones this is this is one of the best ones i would i would say interesting yeah and then seeing how they have the approach they've taken to adaptation because obviously it's, it's not necessarily one for one there's things they've changed for for the medium and just for the the time they have because you're talking about a, you know multi-hour game plus uh, DLC into I think it's nine episodes uh, of television so you've got to make some uh, decisions there in terms of what you keep what you highlight and yeah but just the the performances Pedro Pascal uh, Bella Ramsey uh, just knock it out for me just yeah. knock it out uh, every episode the way they've progressed the story the moments the just the emotion of it I'm I guess I shouldn't be surprised how how emotional it's been but Maybe it's the difference between playing and, and just watching and take it in. I'm not quite sure. I'll, I'll have a more coherent <laughs> thought on that by the time we live stream. But just, yeah, the the quality, the production level is, is just, it really, this is just knocking it out of the park. Interesting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, jumping on it and uh, having a watch and, and having that discussion because I have yet to dive into it, but I'm sure we'll get into it in the... The one the disappointing thing for me is not even about a show, but just some of the reaction. Because mm -hmm. as we know, you know, The Last of Us in terms of different characters with different perspectives and just the diversity of the uh, some of the cast and some of the experiences and just seeing some of the, yeah, just the responses and kind of, I, I feel it's like where we are 
as a just as a society now i was expecting to see some backlash and right on cue people giving their backlash apparently there's been some review bombing of certain episodes but which is not great to see but yeah i, I just think this is such a it's just excellent it's an excellent excellent show well, yeah, it's a spoiler discussion coming to you yes. soon. Yeah, we'll, we'll jump into this properly. So look forward to hearing everyone's thoughts. Uh, those are the stories that we have been enjoying. Now let's get to our main story discussion. And for today, we're going to be talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, the 2023 comic book film produced by Marvel Studios and is the 31st film of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It was directed by Peyton Reed, written by Jeff Loveness and stars Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly alongside Jonathan Majors and uh, many more, which we'll get into. So spoiler alert, we are in the spoiler section. If you haven't seen it, pause, go watch the film, come back and you can silently throw your opinions at us as we give ours. As usual, I will do a quick recap of the story, but first let's get everyone's, and by everyone I mean Tazzy, let's get people's quick takes and general impressions. Tazzy, what did you think about this story? I loved this. Do you know what this was? This was like the the Incredibles. It gave oh, me a lot of incredible feels. Because uh, it was like a family, yeah. superhero family fighting adventure. And I was just, I really enjoyed it. It really, I really walked away like feeling good from watching this. Okay. And you know, I always take stock of whether you're on or off the Marvel train bus. Is it train? I can't remember which mode of transport, but. That's what we're <laughs> um, so yeah, like I think for me, this gave like, you could watch this. And not watch any of the other Marvel films. Like, you don't need to have watched... You don't even have to really have watched the other Ant-Man films. Which I like. I like that it can be a self-contained story to be enjoyed. Which I think a lot of Marvel films... Can't, you can't. You can't do mm. that. you you got to watch all of them to get what's going on. But this, you can watch it and not not have. But if you have... You you know there's there's good bits of of like Easter eggs and stuff in it that you can enjoy, yeah. um and good ways to link it into the MCU and like overall I just really enjoyed it like I had a lot of fun with it okay. I really like the daughter I forgot her name I'm gonna be so bad at remembering Cassie all the char- Cassie yeah I really liked her character in this um and her role in this. And again, yeah, like I said, the the sort of like family, family of superheroes, all with their own issues and own beliefs kind of going into it and how that that affected the story as well. And I just thought it was fun. There was a lot of funny moments, I think, in it's terms of the most like positive I've heard from any, anyone talk about it. Yeah. In terms of like, like Marvel movies. Like it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And I can definitely understand if people get mad if they're expecting, you know, the Avengers. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Which I feel like Marvel movies always get an unfair treatment because they're always being compared to yeah, each we'll, other. We'll get like, to that. <laughs> like the bar just has to go up and up and up rather than just like, is this a good movie? Mm. <laughs> it had the entertainment factor, therefore good movie. There you go. Okay. That is definitely the most positive I've heard since um, my general awareness of this film. Well, so I generally, I don't 
actively avoid trailers. I'm just not as eager to go and catch all the latest trailer and find all the mm-hmm. Easter eggs that are hidden in the, in the two minutes. So I think I'd seen the first trailer once uh, and that was it because I, I was going to see it. So Yeah, I didn't watch any of them. Yeah, so I, I, I think that was it. And then as the film came out, just hearing some thoughts, some reactions, most of it negative. I'm on a group chat with uh, some friends from university and one of my friends who's now, I think he's living in Thailand now, but he just basically put Ant-Man disappointing and then said, I think it may be our last Marvel movie at cinema and just general, yeah. So I was like, oh, that doesn't sound good. And then I started seeing some of the stuff online saying this is the worst ever. And, and you know, for those who've been listening to the podcast for a while, we'll know we we reviewed, well, not reviewed, we don't do reviews here, but we talked about- <laughs> We spoke about. We spoke about, yeah. We spoke about Thor. Oh God, that, that was terrible. <laughs> so I am generally, even though I acknowledge that, you know, not every Marvel film has been great, some better than others. There've been a few worse ones. I'm I'm generally on the on the train. I'm going to say we're on the train, on this, this Marvel train, okay. just because I think in a grand sense, what is being done has never been done for. I think it's amazing they've, they've made it work uh, as well uh, as they have. And as someone who admittedly on a much smaller scale is also working on some kind of shared universe with characters and developing stories that all fit together in some way. I'm here in the back taking notes at what Kevin Feige is is doing. So I'm I'm certainly on the uh, on the train. However, after Love and Thunder, I didn't I didn't get off the train, but I was double checking the route. <laughs> and if you've ever been on a I don't know on a on a taxi, we're talking about all forms of transport here, uh, on a taxi and you you feel the driver like are they going the right way? And just, you know, open up Google Maps just to double check. And like, cause I feel I know where, where we should be going. This don't look where we should be going. That's where I was after Love and Thunder. Cause that was not a good film. That was a terrible all. film. Terrible film. So uh, imagine my surprise when I hear Ant-Man, Quantumania is the worst Marvel film. Can't be worse than Really, they Love haven't watched Love and Thunder. Cause <laughs> and I don't know how they're comparable. Me neither. And I said this to a, there's a couple of groups uh, I'm on where I said this, it just can't be worse. And and it's not. So I feel me and Tessie are here to put up a defense of uh, Ant-Man. And I know admittedly that's a very low bar. It's not the worst of 31 <laughs> films, but we'll, we'll get to it. And there are some criticisms. I'll try and do the storytelling thing and, and pick out some things. Yeah. But this, it's decent. Like, I think I know it's a I'm, good film. Yeah, yeah. It's like I, 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 and I feel, and I'll talk a bit more uh, about this as we go. That, like you said, as I, I feel there's a what's that phrase? Um, comparison is a thief of joy. Mm. Or, so I feel that's kind of where we're at with Marvel because everything is oh, it's not like da da da. Oh, it's not. Yeah. It's like, and as well, can we compare it to like the the extended universe of of films? Like, stop comparing them to each other. There are going to be better. Marvel films and they're yeah. going to be ones that like aren't as great but on the like scale of films yeah <laughs> it is and it just feels like we're at a place where everything as you said has to I say escalates from Infinity War Endgame then it's, it's yeah. the worst it's just like just for various reasons you just can't do that each time and yeah also like it's tiring why do you want to be at that level of escalation yeah, just... constantly <laughs> one of the things I liked about this is that it throughout the movie it actually had like really low stakes like mm. high stakes in the context of the characters but low stakes in the context of like 
the whole of the MCU. It's like we're talking microscopic here, literally. Yeah, literally, <laughs> like the lowest things. <laughs> like, so you're like, oh yeah, this all just exists in the quantum realm. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like, as long as these characters get out, we're good. Like, yeah, it's normal. not... I mean, the stakes then completely change in terms of the bigger picture of the MCU, but for the containment of this film, they're not. And it's mm. quite refreshing because you're not thinking like, oh my God, God level <laughs> of like <laughs> catastrophe is going to happen here. And we still have the like the influence of the snapping. Snapping, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, we, we're still seeing the aftermath of that, but without this being like the intense mm. stakes. Like, I'm not going to watch every film where I'm stress actively stressed <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> I I feel you on that. So, all right, let me do this recap, and then we'll okay, we'll cool, talk yeah. a bit more. This is a story that takes us to the quantum realm, where Janet Van Dyne meets an exiled traveler named Kang. In the present day, Scott Lang has become a successful memoir writer and is living happily with his girlfriend, Hope Van Dyne, while Scott's daughter, Cassie, has become a political activist. While visiting Hope's parents, Hank Pym and Janet, Cassie reveals that she has been working on a device that can establish contact with the quantum realm. Upon learning this, Janet panics and forcefully shuts off the device while a portal opens up and pulls them all into the quantum realm. Scott and Cassie are found by natives rebelling against the ruler, while Hope, Janet and Hank explore in order to get answers. They eventually meet Lord Kryler, a former friend of Janet's who reveals that he is now working for Kang, the Quantum Realm's new ruler. After a quick battle, the three flee in Kryler's ship. Scott and Cassie, meanwhile, are told by a rebel leader, Gentora, that Janet's past dealings with Kang were indirectly responsible for his rise to power. The rebels soon come under attack by Kang's forces led by Murdoch, aka Darren Cross, who survived the first film. I guess if you call that surviving. Um, <laughs> on Kryla's ship, Janet finally does some explaining, specifically why she wanted nothing to do with the quantum realm again after seeing a vision of Kang conquering and destroying entire timelines during their first encounter. Kang revealed he was exiled by his own variants out of fear before Janet used her pin particles to destroy the power core Kang needed to escape the quantum realm. So Kang turned lemons into lemonade and conquered the quantum realm. Kang later demands that Scott retrieves his power core or he will kill Cassie. Scott is taken to the core's location and shrinks down. He is nearly drowned in a sea of variants of himself, but Hope arrives, literally and figuratively, and helps him acquire the power core. Kang reneges on his deal anyway, capturing Janet and destroying her ship with Hank on it. Hank helps Scott and Hope battle Kang with rapidly evolved ants as Cassie rescues Gentora and Hope and joins the uprising against Kang and his army. During the fight, Cassie convinces Moldock to turn sides and he sacrifices his life <laughs> in the fight against Kang. Janet then fixes the power core as the group jump through a portal home, except, except Scott, who is attacked by Kang. But Hulk returns again and helps Scott, destroys the power core and defeats Kang. Scott and Hulk then return home and Scott resumes his happy, happy life but remember something about Kang's death being the start of some kind of terrible thing happening? Hmm. The end. But it's not really because it's a Marvel film. So uh, stuck around for the mid credit scene where we see numerous va variants of Kang who are concerned by Earth 616's version 
and his increasing interest in the multiverse and their uh, and plan their uprising. And in the post-credit scene, Loki and Mor Mobius and Mobius locate another Kang variant named Victor Timely on Earth in the 1900s, and then it ends. So mm -hmm. we're going to get into all the story bits. Uh, there's a couple things I wanted to mention about like the production and, and reception and just on that point about are we at a tipping point with the mcu or maybe depending on who you are we might have already long passed that after endgame but interesting to see that the the ticket sales for this film were down 69 percent, which is not nice uh from the first weekend and is apparently the biggest second weekend drop in a franchise's history and we've seen some other recent entries in the mcu take similar drops so black widow so i'm taking this from the variety who said black widow dropped 67.8 percent thor love and thunder 67 spider-man no way home 67 doctor strange and the multiverse of madness all around a similar 67 percent drop so is this like is this a trend uh, that's happening? Is is Marvel losing its its uh, its juice, or is this just like a blip? To use the phrase, um, I think it's a natural blip. Like everyone is going to be a bit fatigued after you know ten years, yeah, of Marvel, and it's going to take a natural dip as the people that have been invested in the ten years like are fatigued from it and a new younger generations start to get involved in it and and start to watch it because the next 10 years the next phase isn't really for the older audience that have watched it from the first 10 this is for the newer audience okay that's interesting because ultimately you want a newer audience, New audience in yeah to last for your next <laughs> your next phase yeah which makes complete sense if you think about wherever you were, you know, during like the first Iron Man movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is the audience they're trying to capture. It's, it's like yeah, it's us a decade ago. Yeah, you weren't ready for it. You was you wasn't invested then, you know. Superhero movies weren't even that cool. <laughs> like they'd only just sort of like started to get cool, right? Mm. So it's like I don't think Marvel are worried. No, um, yeah, I reckon. I think Kevin they Feige know what they're well. doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he's okay. <laughs> and these are like low, low stakes films, and I think it's ah, uh, like it's like the viewers' lens of like, oh, these need to be like, n like Avenger level success yeah. but i don't i don't think disney are planning them to be level adventure level yeah. success I otherwise they would that. not have released four <laughs> yeah <laughs> sure. <laughs> i'm sure someone thought that was good in in disney but <laughs> all right so then because i i tend to agree I, I think there's yeah just a natural falling off and i feel over that you know from iron man to Endgame, there's kind of a, a natural okay this is my stop kind of situation where just you know it's in the title Endgame. that's that's the end and there's people who can at that point say, you know what, I'm I'm done with this. What's interesting to me is the it almost seems to be, I don't know, it feels like sport to just like hate on Marvel films. And not that they haven't some of them haven't deserved it. And we'll get to some of the criticisms of of this film. I can I bring some of those in. But 
the other thing I wanted to mention is, you know, we looked at the the numbers, but I always like to remember with things like this, there's a human side to it as well. And as I was putting the notes together, just taking this piece also from Variety and just talked about the response to the responses from the uh, writer. So this is a quote from Variety that, that says, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania screenwriter, Jeff Loveness told about the film sort of opening and critics hating the movie, which took him by surprise. So he said, I was in a pretty low spot. Those were not good reviews. And I was like, what the, I'm really proud of what I wrote for Jonathan Majors and Michelle Pfeiffer. He said, I thought that was good stuff, you know? And so I was just despondent and I was really sad about it. And he, that has a bit of a happy ending, but he later got into better spirits after he decided to attend a public screening of Quantumania and got to hear sort of the audience members laughing at his jokes. And he said, I'm like, God damn, no, the reviews are wrong. I'm right. Modoc is great. And I'm happy with it overall. I think I learned how to take a punch this week. And now I learn that it's not too bad. I can just get on with making things. And that, that journey, I just, I resonated <laughs> with that journey again, at much lower scale, but sort of resonated with that as a creator, just making something and then just putting it out for like just anyone to feedback, which is the idea we, you know, they, they're making films for public consumption, but then, you know, you're still, <laughs> you're still human. You're still like, oh, people really hate it. And like, oh no, wait, some people like it. I oh, know we're good. We're good. <laughs> we're good again. It's, uh, it's a tough one. And, and also, you know, Tazzy, you're creative uh, uh, as well. How do you respond to that? And how do you feel about like when you put your work out to the public is that a familiar roller coaster ride yeah some sometimes i get it i get that feeling but a lot of the time i don't because i'm like mm. cool yeah i don't i don't care especially when it's like random people on the internet that never really <laughs> paid any attention to your your content before and right. then they do and it's like negative and it's like well why do i care but obviously, if I can imagine if you're making like a Marvel movie, <laughs> yeah, the, the where thousands states, right? of people yeah. <laughs> are going to watch it and like, and you're getting reviews, which are a lot more kind of weighted opinions because mm. that's how your career, yeah, that's yeah, kind of the reflection that. that you see of your career. Not yeah. that your career is actually rated on that, but mm. that's the feedback that you receive it's not like if you're working like a day job like i don't know retail where the feedback you receive is is quite immediate and it's like you know face value it's the person that's in front of you it's your co-workers this is like the feedback of a creative and a filmmaker is like the reviews you don't get to sit in the cinema and see every the people that person. are enjoying yeah every single person you don't get to see the 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 impact that it's making for you know just someone who went to go and watch a movie in the cinema mm. you're getting the feedback from the people whose job, job so it is to yeah. criticize <laughs> they criticize yeah i'd get and even if it's you know not a movie critic but a movie reviewer like they're probably going to get more clicks on a negative review anyway it's hard to to take away that wait this isn't about me and it's hard to see like the reaction because yeah, there's going to be people that don't like it, but it doesn't matter. Like the people that like it <laughs> are the people that matter. Not to say you shouldn't take on like constructive like criticism. Yeah, yeah. For Things sure. that are going to help you grow and thrive and, and you know, get to that next level. Yeah. But that's not what this is. This So yeah, like it is, it is, 
like people should definitely have their opinions on things and that's fine but yeah again like i should think i think it's unfair it's definitely unfair for the career i think if you work on a marvel movie you have to be prepared oh for sure an opinion you're gonna get a lot of opinions and they are not a reflection they're not always a reflection of how good your work is it's how good is your work by the standard <laughs> against every other Marvel movie? Yeah, yeah. And the expectations of this very particular audience. Yes, and that's a key word: expectations. And I, I feel you're right. There was, <laughs> and I, because I, I wanted to bring this up, not to say that we shouldn't be criticizing Marvel films. There's definitely a lot of criticism for this film and and what Marvel are doing at this stage as a whole, mm. which we'll get into it. But I always like to remind people that the, these are humans and i think around the time i was putting notes together like we actually had so last year uh, i did an interview with a sound designer at uh, rocksteady who were working on uh, suicide squad and that recently got a playstation state of play feature and they got a lot of like negative responses but there was a a comment on the on the interview because i think people are finding it a bit more now and i said oh you know i saw her on the state of play and and she was really cool and um there was a really good interview or at least they thought it was a good interview and i just sort of put response you know it's important to remember these are people the people that are are making these things and uh for the most part trying to do the best i question <laughs> the the team of uh love and thunder i don't think that was their best yeah but by and large trying to do their yeah best. by and large people are putting out movies at least the creators of them um yes. are putting them out wanting them to be good. they're not like i want to put this out for it to not be good yeah, yeah i don't think anyone's thinking <laughs> like the that, people so. actually making it are genuinely wanting it to be good yeah. can't say as much for like the publishing side <laughs> yeah that's a different yeah, conversation <laughs> all right so with that we've, we've we've done that um we can get into the actual the content the narrative of this story and i i do have some some criticisms that we can talk about but the stuff i i did really like and from a narrative perspective and just looking at the the world building so like this is a film that takes place by and large in the quantum realm it's kind of like a a thick sandwich of like some bits in the real world but in <laughs> most of it is like on either end it's like the real world but in the middle it's this uh thick quantum realm filling yeah this is like one of those triple meat sandwiches there you go yeah <laughs> for sure so yeah we're quickly sucked into the quantum realm and in terms of like the, the world building like how did you feel about the way things were laid out and and the construction of it because we're seeing a lot of different it's almost like a tribal thing you've seen different alien tribes and then there's this whole war going on because of kang's uh presence and it felt like immediately i got star wars vibes but then also yeah. started getting some rick and morty vibes and then it, it turns out that i didn't actually realize this at the time of watching but writer jeff loveness has written some rick and morty episodes okay so then that just made sense to me yeah that but, made so much sense that makes yeah so much sense <laughs> yeah. um because i also yeah i got some I got both of those vibes actually. <laughs> the Star Wars vibe, you know, especially with the um the stormtrooper esque army, whatever you call that, Empire yeah, thing going that on. Kang soldiers. Yeah. And you know, the rebellion, the whole rebellion thing. Very, very Star Wars esque. I really enjoyed the world building. Um, because we get the um quantum like a glimpse of the quantum realm at the beginning. 
when we're introduced to it and i mean my initial thought was like that was literally the opening scene my initial thought was like i do not want to be on this planet (laughs) (laughs) because at that point i didn't know that that was the quantum realm i thought it was just like a planet and then when I realized it was the quantum realm. It's like, oh, that makes sense why it feels very molecular. <laughs> Just you, you see all the moving pieces and it's very granular in that yeah. sense. And then I liked the way it kind of introduced us to the quantum realm and how it built that, why it looks how it looks and what's going on. And when we are first transported there when the whole family's first transported there and we've got like lang just not being really aware of anything and the Mm. whole drink the gloop and then suddenly everything makes sense (laughs) because you're kind of watching it and you're like how do all of these very very different looking creatures know how to communicate with each other like what language is this and And then the gloop just makes everything make sense (laughs) i mean it's a very like silly kind of way to overcome that but also it's fun. It was very simple. And like, obviously it was like a device. We somehow need to make them understand. <laughs> and we don't need it. Yeah. It's one of those storytelling like boxes you have to check because initially, it, like immediately you were just like, they're in a different, I was going to say planet, they're in a different place. And we've got all these different tribes within that place. Like how is anyone able to understand? So like, as you're writing the story, it's, I could just imagine, you know, someone bringing that up and then going, okay, we have to fix that. So you have to have something that just addresses that. And then you move yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. I thought it was a fun way to address it as well. The, the little blo- gloopy thing that has no holes. The ooze. Drink the cracks ooze. me up. The ooze, dad. <laughs> Drink the ooze. He's got, yeah, that's my ooze. I have no holes. How many holes? <laughs> Hilarious. Um, <laughs> but I just liked how we kind of just got the bits about the world progressively through it without over explaining things that are quite obvious because it does have a lot of like tropes, which isn't always a bad thing. It can be a very good thing because it can make it very easy to understand a movie. <laughs> I want to put that there. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it does. Um, have, and I guess when it when you go into that place where you do have the the Star Wars feel, immediately you you know your mind goes to those kind of tropes, and there are things that are familiar in that sense. But it just helps you understand it. It's when you have an over reliance on them, or that's the only thing that's there. You're not bringing anything new. Now you can argue mm. whether this film does that or not, but I think having tropes is not in itself a bad thing. What yeah. I would say though, as I was watching it, and I think this is more towards the so visual effects and and CGI-ness of, of everything that Marvel do and this film does a lot of where that actors and the characters never felt uncertain or shocked by what they were seeing. And I'm trying to wonder if this is, I mean, obviously it's a, you know, acting on green screen and, and having that visceral reaction to everything, which is not really there. <laughs> so having to get mm-hmm. that in, but then there's an element of, well, these are, you know, characters, they've been through the blip, they've seen Thanos, they, they've seen stuff, but even yeah. still, I just felt that there was a little bit more reaction I wanted to see of like, whoa, this is this is a whole world down here and this is the thing we've been fighting for and all searching for and theorizing and here it is and these weird and wonderful creatures. I mean, I get it from Janet's perspective. She's literally been there, seen yeah. it, done it. But everyone else, I just wanted to see more of a reaction from to where they were. I think for me, I think Cassie is the only one that needed a reaction. Okay. Because the others have like, been been for it. She's kind of, yeah she's kind of the only one that hasn't like quantumed because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they've all, the others have all been through 
some kind of molecular situation (laughs) (laughs) where she's all very new to it but then also she's like young and curious so things are just gonna you know she's a she's a she's a woman of science as well she's more intrigued and curious than than shocked but i feel like she could have been more terrified of these situations okay like she was way too calm i get that she's (laughs) kind of been like excited to be part of this and she finally gets to but even then it doesn't really show her excitement either like i feel like she should be terrified and excited at the same time yeah yeah i should say yeah (laughs) and i i do get that that was missing a lot i think for hope and hank i mean i feel like hank's just not shocked by anything in general like i think it's very in character for him to be not really phased necessarily by things Mm. and i think he was nicely phased by the interject Deduction of Kryla. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that phrased him. <laughs> Which completely makes sense for his character. I think Hope was kind of overran by just the lies from her mom, from Janet. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's in line with the characters. I get that. Maybe it sh- could have been more reactive, but I also feel like it's in line with the characters. Yeah, I, I did consider that. And I think for me it was it was more of a just it was more to do the CGI, just the way you you act when it's CGI versus mm. when it's something practical. And I feel that slight just disconnect to where where they were. Yeah, I, I feel there was a lot of world building happening, and for Ant Man in particular, because I guess we're kind of used to it for the MCU as a whole. But you already touched on it, where Ant Man is about the the small scale stuff. So it was interesting to see this being a film that even though it's everything shot down to the quantum realm, when you're in the quantum realm, it was felt like a bigger scale. So there's almost like a shift in perspective for the Ant-Man series. Although I felt to the, for the most part, they kept the focus on the small scale, in their case, like the family and the family dynamics. And like in the past, Ant-Man has always been the, or the previous two, uh, the the palate cleansers. So after you get the the larger sort of massive battles. So I think, the previous Ant-Man films came after uh, Avengers Age of Ultron and Avengers Infinity War. So you get mm. just high peaks, very dramatic. And then you get Ant-Man, you know, guy just being sent to prison for, for robbery and, and small scale stuff. So with a return or someone's return to the quantum realm, I guess you're taking a different approach to that. And... I was thinking, like, is there a danger? Because we have now Ant-Man on a, you know, this isn't quite a Avengers-level scale, but it is, you know, there's a lot happening and it is setting up or is part of the setup to that. Is there a danger of, like, the MCU formula almost removing the individual charm from some of its entries? Because we've now got, like, Ant-Man being the, you know, introducing Kang and, and that level of threat. But then mm. how do you feel about the balance to to what's happening with the small scale versus the the larger storytelling. I feel like this Ant-Man film got the balance right. Because even though Kang is kind of like a more overall villain, in this instance, he's not. <laughs> like he well, is and the, he isn't the, at the same the time. Yeah, but like in terms of like, because because he's one of many versions of him, He's a Thanos, and at the same time, he's not because, 
like, is this version of him the Thanos? <laughs> like Whereas, which, yeah, which one should we be afraid of? Well, I yeah. mean, he's pretty, he does some scary things in this, but yeah. He does some like scary others. things, but also, like, this is all contained into, like, this quantum realm. And we're obviously scared of him getting out, but as long as he doesn't get out, it's only affecting this quantum realm. Yeah, but, you know, like Cassie says, you know, there's still people here and we've got to yeah. care about them too, Tazzy. Which is like literally what I was just about to go <laughs> on to. <laughs> so in terms of like the bigger MCU, which everyone is always so concerned about, this version of Kang is pretty, I don't know, like, do is he, is it consequential or inconsequential? We don't know. I love that it kind of leaves it as that, like, to the bigger MCU is yes. this character consequential or not? We don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Let's just not worry about that. But then, like, in this place where there is equally, this is a, this is a universe in its own right, you know, there's the point where where Cassie's like, come on, Dad, we got to help. And he was like, no, let's just, it's got nothing to do with us. Yeah, let's just get our, get um, our let's people just, and go. You just get out. And it's like, oh, come on i'm like i get your point because you have a daughter as well and you really want to protect her <laughs> and like we could just go and not worry about this and just leave it here <laughs> but like it is like you know this is this is a colonizer uh well no actually no uh, actually let me take that back a conqueror because a conqueror, there's yeah. something i want to talk about <laughs> okay <laughs> Later on in the film, where I'm going to compare conqueror and colonizers, is this like a conqueror? Like this is this is an evil person, and then it's just funny because Scott's like, this has nothing to do with us. When in actual fact, <laughs> it has everything to do with them anyway. And he should have just he should have just been a superhero. But he it's in line with his character, which is is funny because it's like he's not he's not a chosen superhero. No, and he's, he's, he's actively a criminal <laughs> turned yeah. superhero. Yeah. It's not even like he's an average person that was like excited to then get powers and use them for good, you know. It's not like a, a Spider-Man that's really excited that, oh wow, like I've got powers now, I can use this to 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 help people. I don't know. Uh Tony Stark, who, you know, was an arms dealer, but then realized the weight of what he'd done could then, you know, that he could flip flip the other way. Like, it's none of these situations. He's <laughs> not like any of the other heroes, not like the other anti-heroes. He was just a criminal with a daughter. <laughs> and then he had powers. <laughs> yeah, he really did just fall into this. And then he kind of like just done the bare minimum. And yeah, it was cool to be part of the Avengers. And a lot of that was then like, oh, now I can be there for my daughter. Like that was his arc of progression. That was his growth is that now I can be a good dad. The so superhero stuff's like secondary. Yeah. It's just like his career. That, yeah. You get some of that because it, not that he does what he does in this film just because of his daughter, but like you said, there's like Cassie's sort of pleading with him to, you know, do something. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. It's <laughs> we'll, not his we'll first thought. It's not his immediate reaction. is isn't yeah. to save people. It's there, it's a fault, but it's not the fault. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not a true. singular minded fault, like it's not a secondary reaction. Whereas for Cassie it is, it's like I've got to help people, which is which is interesting. I forgot the the, the point I was going for, but <laughs> stakes are are high. But we also get like how high the stakes are for the people in it. 
you know, they're mad. They're like, we are not helping you. <laughs> mm. You're going to bring trouble to us. <laughs> yeah, because even you see when they land and once they know the connection, even indirect connection to Kang, it's like, nope, don't want none yeah. of this. You're going to bring him to us. Nope. See you yeah. later. And then we even see on when we're like flip, when we go and look at the Janet Hope Hank situation and they show up to like they land in the place and then someone's like getting whipped or something or like there's some misjustice happening and you can see hope kind of look at it and like want to do something about it and janet's like just lay low oh just keep oh yeah (laughs) she does a glance and there's like just there's just this look of like i want to step in (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah so and then janet obviously knows the the stakes but kind of maybe disregards the family a bit yeah, isn't so you know that that was annoying. He's like, <laughs> just say something. Um, yeah, I know when she's like, oh, I'm not going to tell you. It's like just tell your tell your family. Yes. Like this is your family who are also superheroes. <laughs> yeah, and this is happening now. Like you yeah, can just, <laughs> just tell them. So much could have been avoided if you just told the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But the There's truth. not people you needed to hold the truth from. <laughs> like, I feel like yes. she was unnecessarily justifying the fact that she like was there for thirty years. Yeah, I felt that too. <laughs> Just say something. Did it not one point believe her leaving the quantum realm? And now they think that maybe they should do some family therapy sessions. I don't think therapy exists in the MCU. Apparently not. Although, you know, Steve Rogers Actually, and uh, yeah. Natasha went to that uh, post-blip post Oh yeah, uh, so it circle. does. Just, yeah, yeah. I guess... Not for them. <laughs> Not for them. Yeah, I, I guess it's re- it's a reflection of society that we're still not quite there yet. <laughs> with <laughs> so maybe it's just realism. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so all right. So then we have the like the world and how it was told. The world building. One of the things that I I found that is kind of difficult with when you're going into a new world, you need to explain the world, and this is part of the challenge that you have when you set your story into a the quantum realm or just a, a new story world but then also and this goes to the like the marvel situation of you have to explain certain bits that came before you have to set up things that come uh, to come afterwards so you get tend to get a lot of exposition and is often a, a bug of, of mine just heavy exposition in places and i feel we got some of that where characters have to explain certain things like to you know to set up like what's the carbon just to remind people because by this time I mean, this is the 31st <laughs> entry and that's just the that's just the films i mean this kind of links to loki so now you've got a whole season of uh, shows mm. and you sort of have to catch everyone up so that's where some of the storytelling takes a hit because you have to spend time explaining things to catch people who maybe haven't because not everyone's going to invest the time to catch up with everything i think i feel i'm like one of the people who uh who apparently does although i think i'm missing a couple shows but you get that and then what that impacts and as i said earlier on just this is me taking notes as someone you know working on making a interconnected universe is you can lose some of the the in-scene motivation of a character as they have to move from plot point to plot point. So even with like Janet, sometimes maybe that could have been done differently because they all had to move to the next bit to get to the next plot point so they can do the next thing. 
Whereas if this was different, say this was a standalone, maybe some time could have been spent exploring like why she didn't want to say, I mean, we know why, but it, it's sort of a surface level thing of no, can't say anything. I was there for 30 years. I want to move on. But you could have delved into the characters and the character motivation uh, a bit more. But I don't know how you feel about like how, yeah, just the need to set up things or to explain things. Is that something that impacted like the way you felt about the story? Um, I don't think in a negative way, because um, like I said earlier, I feel like this is one you, you could really watch separately if you haven't watched anything else. And so that explaining is is very necessary. Mm. And I think I think that's OK. I mean, it can definitely be frustrating if you've if you have watched everything else and you know what you know what is going on. You You can sort of be like, oh, you can want to know more about I guess her story but also I feel like her story of like that 30 years we could really go into the motivations but I don't I think it covered it like I don't think there's much more you can cover spent 30 years in the quantum realm met this crazy conqueror evil person (laughs) I think the flashback explained to us enough that you know goes around conquering evilly conquering things I did like the flashback I I like their interaction yeah for majors in Michelle Pfeiffer I think most most people can can understand the gravity of that. And I feel like any longer on like Janet's motivations, I would have got bored. Cause it is a lot of like it is a lot of like, oh, I was here isolated on my own and you have no idea what I've been through. I had to do what I had to do. I had to do what I had to do. And then I didn't tell you about it. So I didn't even give you the chance to understand me. <laughs> <laughs> and I I just, I get pretty bored of that storyline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I just I use Janet as just an example. I don't, don't necessarily feel we need to go any deeper. I, I feel the one yeah. that, that was missed out on, I would have liked to have seen more Cassie and Scott. Yeah. That's, that's, I think that did suffer. I think, yeah, I think Cassie, I think Cassie's the only character here that really, really suffered from a loss of explanation and we we could have gone more into more into her story and more into why she's chosen or why she feels so compelled to be an activist and like the 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 effects that you know not having her her dad and her and and hope around for five years like just gone missing and not just five years Five key years, yeah. Five key years, yeah, and and of her growth and development as a young person, criminal past and all that, yeah. (laughs) And like how she dealt with that, and like you know, she's spent time like learning in that time. Like she's smart. We're just thrown into the fact that oh yeah, by the way, she has a suit. She built like some amazing piece of science that is just phenomenal. But like her age, and we just kind of brush past that. We brush past the fact. Yeah, and that's that's kind of part of the issue. Is like it's it's there, so we we understand it because you told us. It's it's the whole yeah, show don't tell, old tell don't show. It's like you you told us yes, but don't we don't necessarily feel it because you haven't spent the time because you need to set up this other other stuff that's mm. happening. I feel she's one of the characters that suffers from that. Yeah, I think she does. I think though, also it's like. It's Marvel as well, so I feel like they want to leave lots of openings for potential spin-ups yeah. and like and they want to they want to leave those openings, obvious, right? <laughs> for sure, and that is the yeah because we've spoken about this in in past 
Marvel thing. I think Doctor Strange and uh, there was another thing where I, I mentioned it, and it was like this is the and this is the challenge of like from a storytelling perspective of what Marvel are doing because it, it is all a balancing act, and you know they've got their spreadsheet or however they they keep their plans and of you know this character is introduced here and then they get their next bit of development here and but then it is it means sometimes characters suffer so yeah we might get more from from cassie in something else but then mm. in this one where we're seeing that that part of the story take a hit because of that and it's like yeah how do you yeah how do you properly manage that yeah and i think any extended universe is always going to have that problem i think it is the trade-off yeah that we get from having and it is this. All the trade-off yeah and like, I mean, it's better than it's better than a movie or a show where you lose all of that for no reason. Right. <laughs> when it's like you just cut it down for yeah. no reason. Like, and at least this is like the other side. Yeah, at least this is like maybe there's a possibility that we'll find this at some point mm. that we'll get this missing missing puzzle piece. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a I think it's a fair trade off. Okay. All right, so it didn't impact, didn't impact your uh, enjoyment. No, because right, we wanna... still we still got the essence of Cassie. We still understood yeah. her. All right, I want to to mention the. Um, we'll talk a bit more about the characters. I want to mention the the CGI, and I'm realizing this is a me thing. Or I, I think other people have this. Just seeing some of the notes that I put together, but just CGI for me in films is is not quite a turn off, but it sometimes I I check out. Just CGI, if it's not done right, and when I say done right, not necessarily the quality, although we can talk about that, but just, I don't know, the placement or the reliance on it, it just something switches off. And then more recently when watching Doctor Strange, and that starts very CGI heavy, and I remember in the first few minutes of that film just thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this, <laughs> because there's just so much CGI. And then I felt the same thing with Ant-Man. I kind of got used to it, but... Yeah, I just, I, I don't know, just the CGI just, it, ah, it just doesn't always rub me the right way. And and seeing as this film, like, is so reliant on CGI, I did think it would impact my enjoyment. I did get used to it, but I don't know how you felt about having so much of the film spent in this, yeah, just CGI According to um, found that interesting quote from a website, our uh, our consultant online, they just called it a um, CGI hellscape or such soul dampening <laughs> excess that their grounding is almost thoroughly lost. So that's one approach. <laughs> uh, what did you think? I mean, for me, I bad CGI doesn't necessarily take me out of a movie. Terrible CGI will. <laughs> Bad CGI, not so much. It depends. It depends on the line of terrible and bad. And with this, like, it was obviously very CGI heavy. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it had to be. And I don't think there was any moments where I felt like, ooh, that's... I was too busy watching the film to think about it, if that made sense. Yeah, There was I, enough I going that. on for it to not be an issue. It's not like in Black Panther with the, with the suit. With Shuri's suit. Oh, okay. Oh, right. <laughs> right. I was like, that yeah. was distracting. <laughs> I think because that yeah, was no. so out of place and unnecessary mm. to be that level. I mean, maybe it was necessary in production, but it felt mm. unnecessary to be that mm. um, CGI. But this, it was like, I mean, you're not going to get all of these creatures by not CGIing it. I mean, no, exactly. 
I mean, you could be very expensive practical effects and it would be worse. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, um, it's all about, and I was thinking because it also comes in the context of a, a special effects crisis in Hollywood. And I know when we did have Jason and Rich on for the Doctor Strange episode, Jason mentioned some of the, the stuff that's going on with just the, the load that has been put on visual effects artists. And I've linked in the show notes to a GQ magazine article about Hollywood's VFX crisis, which is, I was reading through it and it's just like a, yeah, just, I mean, I, I knew, but just reading from some of the perspectives, just as like, wow. And I'll, I'll just pick out a, a couple bits here to give some context for people. So this is from GQ that, that mentions as much as half of the budget of a Marvel film will be spent on effects, but industry consolidation and an absence of the coordinated unionization that protects workers across almost all other aspects of film production has resulted in often toxic working conditions. Goes on to say, it's a thankless task. When a VFX artist's work is indistinguishable from real objects, it becomes essentially invincible. The untrained viewer notices only when things look wrong, and at a time when there is clout to be had, by posting stills on social media that mock imperfect effects, fans are incentivized to prompt pylons. And I feel that captured the balance because you have, and like you say, like with this kind of film that takes place in the quantum realm, which just this fantastical, different, very diverse creatures, you, you kind of have to do it with, with CGI. But then what's the balance between like the audience expectations that have, you know, obviously been fueled by what the, of work that marvel have done and, and other people have done then you've got the the business that is demanded that these films come out at this this schedule and to this scale and then the workers who have to do the work and you know we talked about it at the beginning who are our people and they don't want to do bad work but these are the conditions that, that you've got it is such a difficult kind of situation yeah i guess like like I've said before, like like I've said, I personally am not affected by bad CGI and I'm equally not affected by, you know, they swapped the, like if there's a something in the background, like something was wrong, you know, mm. that thing was out of place, that thing was in that person's hand in that shot, da -da -da, and it's not in this shot. Like there's YouTube videos dedicated to this kind yeah. of thing and dedicated to pointing out the in like the tiny yes. details of imperfection when it's there not realizing that there are like teams and people and like for me i'm like people just need to get over that we're making <laughs> fiction here <laughs> yeah, none of this is real use your imaginations yeah. <laughs> i do remember like that made me think of um because uh, this is a while ago now but we had bob cheshire on who is a concert artist for uh, Marvel and, and Star Wars and I remember yeah. just him where we were talking about people thinking about things being contrived and these stories and so on and so forth and he was just like you know it's all contrived and so it's all of it is so it's kind of you have to measure how you sort of respond to things that like everything is made up everything. yeah so yeah we should have we <laughs> checked that <laughs> did he I mean if he did some Great scenes in there, but yeah, some of the CGI, it just takes me out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I totally get it. Like, if it, if it takes people out, like, again, Shuri's. <laughs> <laughs> that really did, really did feel that. But if people want films, like, 
it's either we have films or we have perfection um mm. if we have perfections we have no we have no films because there films is no now. such thing <laughs> yes. you know even if we had perfect films that we'd pick out something it would be yeah we're just at that stage in i don't know humanity and social media yeah. <laughs> we're just like like uh in the gq just like we're incentivized to font pylons although i, I will say i think yeah. the, the criticism and i'll we'll talk about this at the end as well if i was going to bring it up that I think there's an argument that Marvel could just do less. I mean, I understand, yeah. you know, capitalism and, uh, yeah. and stuff, but just, yeah, I think you they'd get more from less. Maybe not more money, but just more quality. I don't think they would, though. If if Marvel made less less things, people mm. would moan that there's not enough. That's Yeah, see, and that's they what I'm saying about the expectations. They'd be like, <laughs> there's not enough Marvel films, <laughs> even though they've released, like, I mean, this year, how many have they got coming out? Like four or five? Uh, I think th- no, because they have to push some back. I oh, think it's still three films. Three films, and then okay. A bunch of shows. Yeah. So, like, I don't know how many properties they've got coming, like things they've got coming out enough. from their various properties. It's <laughs> enough. Enough. Yeah. Like we have enough entertainment to keep us entertained yeah. for the rest of the human existence. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. We need more. We always need more. But we, we need, need more. more. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like whatever they do, it doesn't matter. There could be one incredibly great, like, perfect film come out this year from Marvel. And then we'd be like, no, but it's not enough. It's not enough. Yeah, because we need, where's it? all the others? <laughs> Watch this you already. Know. <laughs> yeah. Where's this what? one? Where's that one? Where's the show that links <laughs> all of it in between? And, and like, that wouldn't be enough. And I mm. I feel like there's a balance. I mean, obviously there's the capitalism. Capitalism. (laughs) That's a different kind of economy. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Capitalism. Capitalism. (laughs) Because we've been talking about insects. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's the capitalism side, but then there's also the just spoil society side. (laughs) I guess what me and Tazia are trying to say is give the multi-billion dollar uh, corporation a break. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i mean i they they could do less but then i'm i'm on the side of yeah less would be fine absolutely less i think just less entertainment in general less games so i could actually play some of them um (laughs) less films less shows like better quality i agree oh yeah i definitely think that could be done but realistically that's not, not where we are so we just consume and consume and consume, <laughs> consume until the very end so all right so we talked about some of these these characters uh, i don't know if there's any in particular you wanted to pick out we have talked about kang but kind of wanted to come back to him because he's an interesting one to me and i feel like jonathan major majors does i, I like the work he does and it's quite a task because he's having to actually play multiple different characters and we saw some of that in the the mid credits scene and then going back to that word expectation where once you say you know you've seen endgame and like this is the new thanos and your mind automatically goes to that so now you're everything he does is like just comparing to thanos or that this doesn't isn't as scary as thanos or he doesn't seem as powerful as thanos and so on and so forth how do you think he did like the characters placed in this film and like yeah, what do you get Ooh. from this this character? The character, I 
let me go for acting first. <laughs> okay. Why I formulate that? Yeah, you think about that. <laughs> um, the acting I think was great. Really got like the sense of like evil. Mm. I think from the first introduction of like this, like I knew I was like I I knew from the start like. You're evil, but not in a ha ha ha, I'm an evil no, person way. Yeah, in yeah. a I'm so evil that I think everything I do is the it's best necessary. thing. Yeah. <laughs> like I am God. I'm the God of gods. <laughs> yeah, but he even says that. Like he's I'm I can't remember the exact line, but he's like, I'm preventing worse yeah. from coming. Like you need me. Yeah, and that you think that he thinks that he can sort of like choose life what literal timeline is valuable or not mm. to have like the one timeline and that all other timelines are inferior and like the is it even evil or is That's it what I was just say it's just because you know i'm gonna compare with thanos now but <laughs> thanos was or he felt he was justified that there was a rationale and that's you know good villains, villains good antagonists that have the I rationale like... that you can understand can go beyond that yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Thanos you're like okay yeah I, I understand your your rationale here but do you think maybe if that's not your choice to make <laughs> no it is his choice <laughs> <laughs> but with Kang it's like he's kind of like gone even part like even further past that it's like well I like I I still understand your rationale but it's not rational <laughs> yeah I'm not even like, sure I understand his rationale it's so it's so <laughs> It's so one-minded that yeah. it's completely illogical. It's it's just such. It's kind of gone in like in a loop because he sees everything, and then so seeing everything is like now nothing's important. You've gone like so far. That... It reminded me a bit about with uh, Doctor Manhattan from Watchmen, who just just so omnipotent that I see forward, back in time. What does time mean? Everything, and he just has this. Kang has this almost bored. Feel yeah. to it. Just I've I've seen this before, and yeah, it's just which, which I liked. It's interesting about the yeah about made the a character. very interesting weariness. character. Yeah, That's yeah, the word, weariness. Okay, yeah, but yeah, I think the the acting like very much gave that like that really like you don't want to be in the same room as him yeah. <laughs> kind of like I want to be far, 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 far <laughs> away from this man, <laughs> this being. Like, because Eddie think he does, he's not, he's past rationalizing with, mm. he's past caring about anyone. And even if it seems like he cares about any one person at one point, because um, there's a bit of like him clearly having a bit of a fondness towards Janet, but that will very much disappear if, uh, if it messes with, with the mission. The mission. <laughs> That kind of like God complex, beyond God complex, yeah. the God of gods complex. Yeah, so I'm, I'm interested to see where they go with the character. And yeah. I know I, I brought up Thanos, but I'm of a mind to just let's see where it goes rather than trying to like prejudge, yeah. oh, this isn't like this thing that happened in this saga. This is like just interesting this to see what they do. This is a new villain, yeah. I think it's fair to compare some of his motives to Thanos. Because that's similar, like, Thanos is like, the the universe will be better off. 
if I snap half of, but this is like the whole entire timelines, every timeline that's ever existed will be better off if we just get rid of all of them and make one <laughs> ultimate timeline. So yeah, I feel like the motives, I feel like the character though, that like really stands out, is that the correct word? Is Maddox or Modoc, sorry. <laughs> Modoc, yeah. He definitely oh start, stood out. Stood out. Oh my. So funny. Just the heads. <laughs> and the way they and, reacted to it. See, that was the proper reaction yeah. I was looking for to it was, the environment it was the way around that, them. Yeah, they, they reacted to it, to him, and Terror. how he was completely, seemed to be unaware of how ridiculous <laughs> he is. <laughs> because they reacted with like, ugh. <laughs> yeah and he was just unaware he was completely unaware of that like he was unaware of people's reactions to him <laughs> apart from where he had outbreaks of them like calling him his old name what's his old name again oh, his darren. darren and like <laughs> he, i'm not darren, darren I'm darren's dead <laughs> darren's dead and then him just not realizing that he's like he's uh. just being used and I, I can't even say the line because we we have a non-swearing podcast <laughs> Cassie is just like, it's never too late to stop being yeah. beep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does realise at the end. Yeah, he really, well, kind of. He's still a bit ridiculous as he's literally dying. And they're just like, <laughs> yeah, we'll just, okay, yeah. yeah he's a dying man. We'll, yeah, yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll give him, we'll just, we'll just let him feel like that while he's dying. Yeah. You're an Avenger. Yeah, that's yeah. how it works. <laughs> Sure, yeah, you was great. You done good. You don't yeah, you're like a brother. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I I get it's like you wasn't that nice of a person before you was a no. killing machine. Um that hasn't really changed, but okay, we'll we'll go with that. You done better. You done better. We'll yeah. pretend that you, you done you good. Tried. Yeah, you tried. Um <laughs> but just the ridiculousness of Modoc and just oh absolute I, I i laughed every time it was on screen and just like the 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 dynamics between modok and any situation yeah that he's in hilarious and the when scott <laughs> realizes the name <laughs> when cassie and oh, scott yeah. are like <laughs> locked up it's just hilarious because they're in prison but Modoc is the one like just seems completely out of con like out of control of the situation. <laughs> 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 oh really funny. And then the other character is um Quaz, the uh telepath. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was that his name? Although he had that line like uh his name is Scott and he has seven holes. Yeah. I have to count. I was like, let me just make yeah. does that <laughs> does that math check out? Yeah, check check out. And it's like, please, please stop thinking. Please thinking stop that, thinking yeah. that. <laughs> I just loved it. Like, because you know you always think about like, oh, if you like could read minds, like, and a lot of people yeah. go for that power. But it's like really what are people thinking of? And then when Scott's like, I'm trying not to think <laughs> about it. <laughs> I really just like enjoyed his character. Also, I really like the the good place. Immediately, I was like, oh my god, it's GD from The Good Place. <laughs> huh. Yeah. I've not seen that show, but now I just put that face together. Yeah, and how, like, different, yeah. different he looks. Especially without the glasses. Wow. Really transformed from, from nerd to tele 
space galactic well not space quantum realm yeah 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 telepath he looks well. familiar yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would like to see the quantum realm like just the quantum realm without or like a day in the life of the quantum realm yeah i'd like to see like the mandalorian version of the quantum realm it's like separate from from the rest of the mcu just how they live yeah you know obviously things of yeah that would be be cool because it was really interesting because like the buildings that are alive <laughs> your build is that building alive your buildings are dead <laughs> love that <laughs> <laughs> there was just like visually so much so many interesting yeah pieces yeah. To, to see like i want to uh, know more about the goop and all the different races there <laughs> like it's i think it's such a cool world yeah the, i mean the ooze was funny just the way they like you said the way they played it is like yeah the ooze ooze drink the ooze <laughs> drink the ooze um i did think and this goes back to the point about atman lower stakes and the characters involved in his everyday life and in this being sort of Sort of biggest stakes on a quantum level, but just missing Lewis, so like Michael Pena from the previous ones. I just, I don't know, I really liked his character. And it's not, I guess there's no real place for him in this film, but felt like the original cast of characters I felt were missed in, in this. And they brought well, a lot of character and personality to, to Ant Man that wasn't in this film. So, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know, pull one out for uh, Michael Pena's. Ant-Man career, I guess. I hear that. I hear that. All right, themes, final thoughts. Let's um, see what we can pick out. I felt that, and again, the whole exposition and and just this being very much in the context of the wider Marvel MCU machinations that some of the themes that we could have spent more time on, we mentioned Cassie and Scott's relationship, as weren't explored as much, but there were a few things like colonialism, or conquerism. conquerism. I don't know which one you want to go with. So there's this loose thread of like you know the outside force taking over the nation and the natives rebelling. But you 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 got a distinction. Um. So yeah, I wanted to specifically for this film. Well, I suppose it kind of does tran transfer because Kang really is a conqueror because he doesn't have an initial colony. He's just a person that decides that he is going to create. A nation right. <laughs> and conquer everything. Uh, it's very much just about <laughs> him yeah. as an individual ruling every everything. Oh, versus my people need this, and we're going to take it from your yeah. people, right? Which then takes me on to this a funny thing because that I thought near the end that I was like <laughs> the conqueror got colonized <laughs> <laughs> by the ants. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, a colony will always, <laughs> always Trump's conqueror. Conqueror, yeah. <laughs> In the hierarchy. <laughs> In the hierarchy, yeah. Because you're just a singular person uh, mm. that thinks they are a god. Uh, but the, the ants are the real colonizers here. <laughs> yeah, the, the original colonizers. <laughs> uh, that sounded weird, but yeah. <laughs> Take that, British monarchy. Also, like, just how scary ants given the opportunity to... Mm. Like, ants are actually scary. Like, I don't yeah, know yeah. if anyone's watched documentaries about ants, but they are scary. If ants decide... If ants grew big or decide to take over the world, oh, like, no, they, they would yeah, do it. they take over. Yeah, yeah. And it'd be way more efficient than we would. Yeah, they'd be super efficient at Everyone it. Everyone knows their place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's too many free fingers. <laughs> <out here. laughs> 
Like they are just, they just do what they got to do to get get it done. Them and bees, yeah. boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so all right, so we had the colonialism situation going on. You've got the running theme in that man of the it's like the parent child relationship and mm-hmm. Scott wanting to redeem himself in the original films in the eyes of his daughter and I guess similar thing here where they start off Scott and Cassie start off quite distant because she he's picking her up from from jail he doesn't know that she's been in before he doesn't know that her and uh, Hank are you know been working together and just feels quite out of the loop and yeah then by the end they sort of grow and they are closer so I guess it's Mm. like that sort of redeem redeemed quality in their relationship by the end yeah it's also mirrored in the janet hope so yeah then you've got yeah janet and hope and their relationship yeah because janet just well janet's distant to everyone she ain't saying nothing to no one <laughs> like, yeah you can you can trust her not to snitch like she, she, ain't, yeah. nothing. <laughs> she ain't got no stitches <laughs> so then yeah and then hope is in a way like to pleading with her to be more be more open uh, about mm. that so i guess yeah they get that as well so yeah you had those dynamics and i think with the the cassie scott relationship as well as the overall sort of father daughter and repairing that relationship you also have like cassie uh, and i feel this is maybe the most overriding theme of like the to making a difference because you have scott in a place where he's almost like you know I, I did the avengers thing i'm done now i'm the guy doing the book tour and not really risking my neck for anything and then mm. he sort of forgets you know who he is and the guy who looks after the little guy and him being in the quantum realm and working with the the rebels against kang and by the end you know he goes real big and just helping save the freedom fighters and that's him remembering to make the difference for the little guy on the littlest of of stages <laughs> yeah definitely um and like the teaching moments as well like i think that it's really cute where um cassie uses her suit for the first time that we see her using her suit and uh the whole like I'm keeping you out of trouble. Like you just need to not be away from trouble from Scott. It's like shifts to like, I'm going to teach you how to do this. And he just completely forgets that before that he's like, no, stop, stop. <laughs> I don't want you in this situation. And then to seeing her in it, that he's like, uh, what's it? Thingy and tap. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> like, do you see what I did there? No. Cause you're on a, a middle school level. <laughs> <laughs> and this is like this really cute moment of like let me let me teach like father father daughter moment of like let me teach you mm. teach you how to do it because you are you are part part of this family <laughs> and if she gets it <laughs> and by this the is end. Your logo. yeah um and that it's kind of like that that your that trust that she is growing up as well that he he sort of has to recognize which is which is hard for him I guess, yeah, that is part of the, yeah, the parent, parent-child parent relationship. So, yeah, they got some of that in there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I did like that. You know what? I don't know. Yeah, it was, a, it was good. I, this is, why, I this is it. why it gives me, like, incredible feels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I see what you mean. I think, yeah, Incredibles is more focused because Incredibles is just its own thing. But yeah. I, I see that, yeah, the whole just learning to work as a, yeah, you're right, actually. I didn't even pick that up. Learning to work as a family, a superhero family. All right, so... I would ask any moments that left an impression on you, left an impact that we might not have covered. 
but I want to skip right to the end. And this goes to, I don't know if we've had this conversation. Maybe it was, no, it was uh, Lau and our friend group were having a conversation about just like the MCU and how they go forward with all these storylines, all these characters. I think Lau, my medical founder, uh, has been on the podcast before, mentioned that Marvel should do the the James Bond model. Okay. Which I I disagreed with him on because mm-hmm. the James Bond model doesn't get you Endgame. And for me, Endgame is still like the the best cinematic experience. I'm not saying it's the best film I've seen in the cinema, best cinematic experience that I've I've had. It's just something so yeah. unique. But you need that run up of consistent same characters in one overarching story. So I disagreed with him on that, but I do feel like going forward, because this is somewhat of an inflection point with MCU, because it's it's just a lot. It is a lot. And whether, you know, whether it's all good or bad or somewhere in between, it is a lot. You can't deny that. And I think for the average just cinema goer, it's just a lot to keep track of. Not even cinema goer, yeah. TV watcher, because now you've got to do both. It's just yeah. a lot. So I feel Marvel going to have to, you know, who am I to tell Kevin Feige how to do his <laughs> job? But um, what I would like to see is something like, end game where where characters die and like Iron Man's dead and that's it the actor you are released into the wild go about your your career you've, you've served your time now we're gonna shift we're gonna completely go to a different storylines that might have some connection but are not necessarily continuations so for me I was got to the end of Ant-Man and I was thinking should Scott have died at the end or at least not come back and mm. that's the end of it it would have been sad but it would have been that's the final, that's close of his chapter. You're done. And then now we can drop that storyline. Not drop it, but just bring it to a close from a mental load perspective. We don't yeah. have to think about it. You had your time. Now we move on to something else. Whereas now he's still around and you still have to consider the storyline. And I don't know how you feel about that. I did feel like, you know, when him and Hope are like there. Yeah. Just I was like, done. yeah, I was like, oh, that's sad. But also like okay yeah that's nice like it was I wouldn't it would have been really sad that like oh now like Cassie's gonna not be she's gonna not have a dad but then it also would have like paved the way perfectly for like Cassie to take over the environmental yeah yeah yeah. which you might still do but now you've still got a potentially weave still weaving Scott Lang into it and which I mean can still work and is yeah. really like nice and and not harsh way. Because <laughs> now essentially you can just like have Scott could just go into retirement. Mm. Cassie can just like teach Cassie the ways. Family of mm. superheroes doesn't necessarily have to really be in it. Can just go about being a mention. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I feel like it could have gone either way though. I was like, it's. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. but that's I did why, feel like when they were there, I was like, I thought it was going to end like that, and I wasn't. I was okay with that. Yeah, like, I if been. it had ended like that, it wouldn't have. I think that's a. I would say that's a good way to trim mm. the ever growing branches. That is the sort of MCU storytelling, and just like just yeah, just cut bits off. There's there's yeah. enough like from the comics. There's enough story to keep this thing going for, for decades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just, like, just cut bits off. Yeah. Yeah, I do think it does have that danger of like not being trimmed. There is just so it'll much. It'll be too much. It, yeah. It'll There's get, just so if much. it's not already, it'll get to a point. It just just 
again, whether it's, it's it could all it could all be good. Every every film could be a hit, and it's just still too much. Mm. So too much for people to keep in mind. So I, that's that would yeah. be my approach. Kevin, if you're watching, uh, call me <laughs> and I, I'll walk you through it. <laughs> yeah. right. Anything that stood out to you, like any scenes, moments? I mean, my favorite my favorite scene is Cassie telling um, Modoc, you know, to. <laughs> To not, Don't be a not be a yeah <laughs> important lesson important life lesson <laughs> such a great movie quote um, <laughs> i think for me another standout scene was cassie's message the broadcast because it was just kind of like her coming into her hero phase i guess this like this really is about cassie cassie's like origin story <laughs> into heroism mm. you know because it's like she rescued the woman that sort of like head rebellion person leader of the rebellion yeah I've, I've and she's like name, but yeah cool like i've rescued you and like i don't know what <laughs> to do, do. Yeah. <laughs> i didn't think that far <laughs> i'm new to this like, this wasn't my plan yeah. <laughs> like cool you've got a plan that sounds like a great plan <laughs> and like just that like progress of like i'm 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 trying I, i'm new at this like yeah what do i do <laughs> and like she's just left to do the broadcast she's like wait me why me i'm i'm like i'm new. <laughs> like you've done this before what huh? like i just i just enjoyed that sort mm. of sequence and that moment of her coming into someone that wants to fight to yeah, getting her opportunity to sort of practice what she's she's thought about. Yeah, that's probably oh, and then my oh, this other scene. I love the scene. When they're escaping from the bar <laughs> and Hank makes the little creature in the drink big. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that so that it can eat Kryla. Just the way it looks the way Hank looks at it like poor creature and then just it's just like <laughs> and it's so cute as well yeah but <laughs> like it's this weird big. little <laughs> cute thing that turns big and it's like kind of like a i don't know this like adorable monster like i'm gonna eat you all <laughs> kind of cuteness <laughs> i felt so happy for it yeah I like I, I really liked although janet was annoying in in some ways when they first approached that uh I guess it was another tribe and she was one-on-one -on -one with the leader. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she, oh, that was brilliant. Like, she cut his arm off and did a thing and it's like, oh, that's how they greet each other. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Hugs at the end. I love those moments <laughs> of like sort of the culture like, clash. And <laughs> Was that a good stab or <laughs> a bad stab? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that because it, it, it just, it was a funny scene and, and it kind of worked in that sense. But then like, it's a good way of, Again, the sort of show don't tell where because it, it says that she's been here because she knows what to do, mm. and then the others haven't, and they experience a brand new culture, and this is what the apparently what the culture does to to greet each other. So it's like it just it said a lot, and I yeah. like those kind of moments where it's like through action and like funny action that says yeah. the exposition that you need people to know, and it uses viewers' expectations to like hoodwink them essentially. Yeah. Because yeah. you're like, this this means they're gonna, you know, get attacked. They're being circled, yeah. and and then there's a fight. Oh my god! And it's like, <laughs> oh no, it's all good. All good. Yeah. <laughs> Just say hello. And also, I I really like the scene with the I guess the flashback scene with Kang uh, mm. and Janet up until the point where 
she has the flashback and the way they they played it the actors it just yeah that was that was probably the best for me the best acting in in the whole thing just the way they played it because her seeing everything then him realizing that she's seen everything yeah but then still knowing that well, there's only two of us here we both need each other this doesn't have to <laughs> nothing has to change but of course everything everything, everything changes. changes i just yeah i love the way they they both played that particular scene yeah that was a good good scene yeah i feel like there's quite a few good scenes in this yeah so yeah this wasn't the worst mc film Ever. I don't know what films people have been watching. I mean, we we had Thor too. Like that was that was a terrible film as well. Like even before you get to Love and Thunder, and yeah. uh, I didn't care much for Iron Man three. But yeah, there's there's been. But also, like I don't worst MCU film is not even a isn't. <laughs> I don't think that's an insult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's perspective, right? Because MCU films have such a high standard that they're held yeah. to. And to their own fault because they have they have yeah. done and they've set that expectation. Great, yeah, they've, yeah, they've set their own high standards. That's not again. That's not to say like what they do, everything they're doing is perfect. It's certainly not. And I think they're gonna have an interesting challenge on, on many levels as they go forward. But I I do think there's a there's a sense of just we know too much to be impressed. <laughs> maybe and just everything is yeah. like, oh we've seen this before and because before it was new and there was no. Like we were watching Iron there Man was no 1 comparison. there's no comparison. We just take yeah. it as it comes. Now we've we've got expectations and it's just that's a tough thing to 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 deal with. But I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I thought this was okay as as lukewarm praise as that sounds. But yeah, it just this was our defense basically, this episode. Let this yeah. episode enter in the record as our defense of Ant Man and the Wasp. <laughs> there's definitely worse superhero films out there. Yeah. So, all right. So that is our, like I said, <laughs> that is our defense. Let us know what you think. If you do think it was one of the worst films or the worst film of the 31, let us know. We'd love to hear why. You can give us feedback on this episode. Email Discord, feedback at bymatter.com or join the Studio 77 Discord. So before we get out of here, I want to make sure we do give this week's storytelling tip. <laughs> Each time we do a deep dive on a podcast, I like to pull out a storytelling tip for others to consider when making their stories. So this is a consideration from someone who also creates stories and likes to learn from the techniques or mistakes of others. And for today, I wanted to discuss creating a strong, inciting incident. So this is all about creating a good, strong, inciting incident in your story which is something that, well, to add uh, one more criticism of Ant-Man and the Wasp, I feel it doesn't quite uh, achieve. And I'll talk a bit more uh, about that. So the inciting incident in a story is something that inspires the protagonist's motivations as they are set on the path of action and change. And it creates momentum to drive the story forward. But although the action was definitely there in Quantumania, I couldn't help feeling that this story's inciting incident wasn't fully developed. Either that or it was rushed or both. Uh, so we see that Cassie is established as slightly estranged from her father. Scott doesn't know that she's been arrested multiple times or that she's formed such a strong relationship with her grandfather, Hank. What we don't see is that she's also been working on a very cool device to connect to the quantum realm. We're only told that. And because we don't get as much of the focus on the relationship between Scott and Cassie, aside from the tell-don't show of her being in jail and wanting to fight for justice, the coincidental feeling of the whole family being sucked into the quantum realm didn't quite sit right with me. So I've mentioned this before where the pieces are there, 
but maybe not as not executed uh, fully enough to make this key part of the story land for me. So as some examples, we've got in other uh, stories, uh, one of the most iconic inciting incidents is the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne in Batman's origin story. So it's an event that not only sets Bruce Wayne on a path to vengeance and justice, but also establishes the themes of trauma and loss uh, and the power of will. And in the animation up, the inciting incident is the death of Ellie. We've spoken about this, that montage. So Carl's lifelong partner. So this event sets Carl on a journey to fulfill their shared dream of visiting Paradise Falls while also exploring themes of loss, aging, and the importance of companionship. And that emotional weight of this inciting incident sets the tone for the rest of the film, which makes it such a memorable and impactful story. And one of my favorites is in The Lion King, uh, Let's Keep It Disney. The inciting incident is the death of Mufasa, which sets Simba on a path of conflict and change as he must confront his guilt and claim his rightful place as king eventually. So up until this point, Simba had been told that he will have to take up the throne and then he's suddenly thrust in a position way before he's ready. So it's these inciting incidents that match up to the themes of the narrative in a way that it doesn't quite do in Ant-Man. So whenever I do my comic story workshops with kids and uh, teens, I always make sure to mention that in really good stories, the inciting incident matches with the themes of the story. And when it does, it makes for a more compelling experience. So here are three tips to establishing a strong and credible inciting incident in your stories. Number one is make it emotionally impactful. So the inciting incident should evoke a strong emotional response in the audience. So whether it's shock or sadness or anger or excitement, something that creates a connection between the audience and the protagonist and gets them invested in the story. So if we take it way back to the original Jurassic Park, the inciting incident is when a worker is killed by a velociraptor and that sets off the park's visitors on a path of conflict and survival as they try to escape the dangerous creatures that they try to keep in cages. Number two is tie the inciting incident to the themes of the story. So the inciting incident should set up a major themes and conflicts of the story, creating a sense of coherence and purpose. So in a counterintuitive example, the film Memento, the inciting incident is as ambiguous as the narrative is. Uh, which is presented in reverse chronological order. So the audience must piece together the events leading up to the inciting incident, just like the protagonist Leonard has to do as well. And number three, make it believable and plausible. So the inciting incident should be grounded in the world and the rules of the story, making it believable and plausible to the audience. So the inciting incident in Attack on Titan may not be believable in the real world, but the appearance of giant, giant humanoid creatures that devour humans is an event that sets Eren on a mission while also exploring the themes of fear, trust, and the complexities of human nature, which makes a perfect sense for that story world. So creating a memorable and impactful inciting incident is essential for effective storytelling. And by considering the emotional impact, the, resident, the relevance, the theme and plausibility of the exciting incident, you can create a compelling story that sticks with your audience. And that is a tip for this week. Let us know if you're creating your own story, how that fits with what you're making. Drop us an email, jump in our Discord. Tazzy, this is usually where we talk about the guest. We don't have a guest. <music> 
would you like to end this episode? I am going to plug myself. <laughs> okay, let's <laughs> plug yourself. What are you working on, Tazzy? Um, so I have been... Okay, let me do this as if it's the podcast. So uh, this is the part where we like to get a bit more information. Just properly. <laughs> on, on what our guests have been up to. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, no, I've been getting back into streaming more. Um, so I would love any uh, support and good vibes over on my Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash T-A-double-Z-triple-Y-X. Yeah, I am, I am trying to have a more consistent schedule as I phase out my part-time job and go back to being a full-time freelance creative person. Mm. Uh so come give me yeah come give me some love it's been it's been a tough time <laughs> <laughs> i've been going through some stuff so coming back to streaming uh i'm hoping is is helpful cool all right yeah make sure you check out tazzy we can uh so we're gonna see more tazzy streams this year yeah cool yeah, yeah. all right um well i know we're gonna be seeing more tazzy streams on my matter channel but also check out tazzy's channel uh and uh yeah what you have to come there well, I guess we are our own guests, so I will thank ourselves for turning up uh, for this episode. Thank um, you, Nigel, for having a great <laughs> discussion on Ant-Man with me. Thank you, Tazzy, for being uh, the positive voice that you often are and bringing some balance to the just <laughs> ways and ways of negativity I've heard about this film. So thank you for that. And thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the episode then make sure you subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star rating and review wherever you are able to do that. That helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussions. And don't forget to check out our own stories on the My Matter website. We're working on new stuff for this year, uh, but we do have a number of titles already available, which include our latest release, Serious Through the Fog. You can check that out mymatter.com forward slash manga and we have our studio 77 discord where you can give us your feedback on this episode give us your thoughts on stories across pop culture or anime manga um, video games stuff like that um, and that's where we'll be updating as well as social media um, our, about our do i look like a gamer video game representation campaign which is live and we're going to be doing uh, year on year so we're going to be launching this year's campaign in april we're working on the photos as we speak probably as you're listening to this and um, the idea for the campaign is to let future generations of diverse talent know that there's a place for them in video games so we want to empower them through our events our activities to be an active part of shaping the future of the video games industry um, we have a bunch of plans so check out looklikeagamer.com and you can check out the photo campaign and the event schedule that is to come as for the podcast we release new episodes on thursdays and those include creator interviews video game discussions and deep dives into stories across pop culture and you can always give us a shout directly our email address is feedback at mymatter.com and our website with links to subscribe is mymatter.com forward slash story x story so thank you for tuning in and until next time, stay safe and always remember, pay attention in caterpillarism class because they're difficult to say, difficult to sit through. And if you want that A, you need to pay attention. So take care, everyone. Mm -hmm.